0: What's going on, everybody? This is Chris K in Campus to Caching. No co-host this week. Ethan Sowers, my good buddy, is out. Unavailable to join me, so I'm running it solo, which is a little bit stressful, a little bit uh, nerve-wracking. And, I, and the only reason why I say that is we've had plenty of solo pods over the past few months at Campus to Canton. And Nate has always said a good job to the person that run it, ran it solo. So if I don't get a message from him at some point, after this is posted, I'll know he did not approve of this me- uh, of this episode, or even worse, he didn't listen. So, wanting to talk about the DraftKings main slate, and we're talking uh, twelve games. Uh, two, I should say, one exciting, great game at three thirty with Oregon and Washington. One super unexciting game in Iowa, Wisconsin, but has some pretty big Big Ten West implications. We'll go. Th- I'll go through it all here today. Hope you guys are going to take some notes, enjoy the weekend to slate. But this is an interesting slate. We have a, a ton of different quarterbacks that are higher priced. There's not really not really anybody super cheap to consider, uh, but tons of higher priced guys that I think are all super viable and different various levels of uh, ownership. So, you know, I mentioned the Oregon and Washington game, you know, Bo Nix and Michael Penix, incredible options. You know, I think Penix... Probably has that higher floor than uh, a guy like Bo Nix, just because their passing attack is so strong. Game like this, I'd be, sh- you know, I'd be shocked if they didn't win or keep this close without the passing game being super effective. And he gets Jalen McMillan back more than likely. You know, Polk has looked great for them. Bernard has been used in interesting ways and looks very adequate. So it's a pretty deep receiver room with a, a good running back room, but nothing fancy. So I think Penix is a super strong play. You know, obviously, Bo Nix dual threat. He can throw it. He can run it. Um, so I see him with a ton of value. His his ups, I should say, maybe his floor is a little bit lower just because there are some different running backs that can steal touchdowns. Guys like Bucky Irving and um, Jordan James, I think, have some value in the slate. Could cause a wrench or throw a wrench in some things here. Uh, but ultimately, his dual threat potential, it just raises his his uh, upside so high. So I think that he's a great upside option here. But ultimately, both are incredible options if you can find the, the cost savings elsewhere. Um, you know, Joe Milton is a guy I would potentially consider at the higher price. It is a little risky. You know, I tried to write about this a little bit in this week's kind of stack attack it's just a tough situation, right? They lose Brew McCoy, but ultimately, like as much as I'm a Brew McCoy fan, he's kind of just a guy, you know, he's replaceable. I'll do it. I'll say it. I'm unbiased here, at least for this portion. And so you wonder, okay, so they throw in Dante Thornton. They throw in Caleb Webb. You know, do they throw more to Squirrel, right? So these are some of the things that I'm thinking about is could this actually elevate the offense in a sense? Because maybe the player that comes in is going to be more dynamic, more of a field stretcher potentially, whereas Brew is more of your possession 10, 12-yard route guy and not a ton of yards after catch. Ultimately, though, that change in potential passing attack and options and how that works, you know, Milton has dual threat potential. I think he had like an 81-yard touchdown run against UTSA just to start. So he definitely can hit the 30s. He's done that twice this season um, against Texas A&M. You know, Jalen Milro didn't run wild at all. He had negative 31 rushing yards, but I don't necessarily think that that means that Milton will be hampered. I just think that, uh, you know, I was impressed by the way Milro threw. So that kind of gives me some encouragement for Milton and potentially his passing attack hitting their first 300 passing yard game of the season. Um, so I do consider him. I got to be a little biased. I think JJ McCarthy makes sense. Uh, you know, he put up 26 points in a pretty big blowout of Minnesota. And that game wasn't even at hand really midway through the third quarter. So you wonder if we can just get one game of where he has to play in the fourth quarter. What does that do for his potential? He's, he's running it a little bit. He's got three rushing touchdowns in the last three weeks, or I'm sorry, two weeks. Passing is a little bit down compared to where it started. Uh, and I think that's just a matter of, You know, is the defense creating points? Is the defense creating short fields? This defense is just incredible right now. I do think McCarthy is an interesting play, but a guy I would use a little, not a lot. uh, Ultimately, I'll I'll be biased, but not that biased. Looking at the seven thousand, I think seven K. Excuse me, I think the seven K range is really pretty strong. You know, I think it starts probably with uh, maybe a guy like Emory Jones uh, or Jason Bean. These are two run first, you know, 10, I should say Emory Jones is more of like your 11, 15, maybe 18 uh, carries, nothing fancy passing. My only concern here is that they play Iowa State. That's a pretty slow-moving team. And this game could get in the mud real quick and slow down pretty quick. I do like him. I do think he has potential. He's just going to need to be a little bit. He's going to need to have the majority of the touchdowns in this one. I think this game could be a pretty low scoring one, but anytime you can give me a fifteen, maybe twenty touch guy on the ground at quarterback, I'm definitely going to consider it. The uh, Jason Bean, like I'd mentioned, you know, he just wasn't used last week because he wasn't needed uh, against, I believe, it was Central Florida. They just took a big lead, a couple of big plays, and all of a sudden, you know, he's just handing it off, keeping preserving his health just in case Jalen Daniels isn't ready anytime soon, which it kind of feels like at this point, Jalen Daniels is going to be missing this week, maybe more. So I think that Jason Bean should be in line here. Obviously double check this uh, day of, of course, but I think he has some potential against Oklahoma state. Will Howard had some nice runs against them last week, you know, so I don't think, uh, and I think Oklahoma state is just good enough to keep this uh, certainly close. I don't think it's going to be any sort of blowout, but, you know, I think that uh, this will be a, a fairly competitive game. I was somewhat encouraged by Oklahoma State against um, Kansas State. Obviously, right? They won, if I remember correctly. So I would hope I was—I'd be encouraged. But uh, you know, I think that Kansas should win, and I think the game script will probably help both th- him as well as like a guy like Devin Neal, uh, Garrett Schrader, You know, I preached him last week. I think he's a good option always, just for the same reason as Emory Jones you wonder, you know, UNC's defense isn't anything special or anything crazy, so, like, what is Florida State going to do against him? So, I'm a little bit cautious. I certainly wouldn't hammer this play. Um, He seemingly kind of struggled in terms of production in the last two games, although Clemson is a strong defense, um, but consistently getting 10-plus carries. I'll consider him a little bit, but not overboard. Um, Ultimately, at Florida State... That's just gonna be a tough enough matchup. If they can keep it close, I think there is some potential for him and LaQuint Allen to have some value. But that's it's a little bit of a, a big if there. All right, let's get a little weird. This is my little bit of weird play. Um, Luke Altmeyer, you know, didn't look anything fancy against Nebraska, and ultimately he has he's looked good sparingly, right? He has two games of uh, 22 and 24 fantasy points and a game of 31 fantasy points. So I phrased that weird, but essentially three games of over 22 fantasy points. Um, I think he has some rushing potential and a little bit, I think, him just running for his life. And I think a little bit of the potential here this week is the fact that with, with them likely being down their top two running backs, I don't see Fegan getting a full load of, of rushing attempts. And I don't think they're going to run the ball a ton. So the two options would be to try to slow the game down and limit the plays or to pass more. And I think we might see the pass more. I mean he threw forty seven times against Nebraska. He's thrown thirty six times against FAU. So it's not like some crazy assumption to think that they become pass happy. Uh so I think that he could get thirty-five plus attempts and ultimately that offensive line is not so good that uh you know Maryland is going to, you know, not be able to get to him. I think he'll be scrambling, running around a little bit and get some additional rushing attempts. You know, I I put it in that stack attack article as well. I think there's some validity to a stack here, but Maryland's given up some bigger yard games uh, and yard per attempt games to some lesser opponents. So I don't consider this matchup all that difficult. And the spread is this game script works in his favor for a passing attack as well. As I believe there are about two touchdown underdogs, so trying to look through the list here, maybe the list one more guy or two more guys. Jalen Milrow, you know, I mentioned him earlier. He looks somewhat interesting, eighty-four hundred. I probably would roll him over like a McCarthy, or be more inclined to use him heavier. Um, you know, twenty, nearly twenty-four fantasy points with negative thirty-one rushing yards. I don't see him. You know, not being able to hit the positives in rushing yards again, and he looked promising in the passing game. I liked that, like him and Jermaine Burton looked pretty good uh, together. And ultimately, he had 321 passing yards against A&M on the road, so very encouraging. Week before that, he had almost 70 rushing yards and two touchdowns. So maybe we can get a little bit of a compromise, a little bit of a mix, meet in the middle type, and have a a pretty big. Um, pretty big performance from him. He definitely has more upside than a JJ McCarthy, but he also has, I would say more risk. And that floor is a little bit lower just because of, he's, you know, he's just not really the best quarterback and albeit Arkansas is not the best defense. I think maybe splitting here is just a little bit more expensive than McCarthy, but I think Milrow is a fine option as well. I'm going to take a quick drink of some coffee to, to get me through this. Moving to running back, I mean, so just to wrap quarterback, I guess, like a lot of higher-priced options, so we're going to have to find some value here at running back and kind of leading into that, I guess. I mentioned Fegan earlier, right? 4500 he's in line for some pretty solid usage. I mean, he could get 15 carries, a couple of receptions. He had three last week against Nebraska. Probably hit value with that. I and mean, I believe he's a bigger guy. I know Campus Canton is a huge Feagan fan. Um, I think he could have a pretty decent game. Game script's not the best, but it might actually play into his favor in the passing. His passing usage, he's going to get four or five, six targets, I would assume. You know, assuming Love and McCray are both out, which it looks like both are. Um, I think Love is the only one that's in question of potentially playing. The other potential guy is maybe Eli Sanders, a little bit cheaper than that at 4,400. You know, he led the way for uh, Iowa State last week over Cartevius Norton. And almost hit 100 yards, 99 yards in a, a rushing touchdown. So potentially there, um, Cincinnati's not some crazy defense or anything I'm sc- uh, scared about. Um, so potentially in the mix there as well at a, a lower rate. Not not a ton of options below that though. You know uh, they've priced people fairly aggressively. And just kind of scrolling through these cheap, cheap options, maybe like a Jackson Acker, maybe. Um, I thought I was impressed by him and how they used uh, how Wisconsin used the running backs against Rutgers. The hard part here is it's Iowa. This game could go super slow. And is that how they're going to really play the two running backs in bigger games? You know, they were just in control. I know they only won by 11, but they were in control the entire time. Didn't feel like Rutgers was ever going to make a push. Um, And so I think they'll continue to use Acker and Allen the same way, but there is that potential of of things changing and maybe a lean on Allen. If this game against Iowa, if it's 17-14 in the fourth quarter, I would imagine Allen gets all those carries to seal it or to continue a, a longer drive maybe to, to win the game. So I think Acker has some potential, but I'm not going to do more than a sprinkle here with his price being uh, $4,000 in the matchup that it is which I think is a a good, you know, good segue into Braylon Allen, the more expensive option. You know, I think him and Corum are interesting options at the top. You know, Braylon Allen's going to have more of a guaranteed workload, but unfortunately it's against a tougher opponent than what Corum has. Corum's going to have a limited workload against Indiana, but uh, ultimately, you know, The the matchup is amazing, right? It's Indiana. This game is just probably not going to be all that close, and hence we're going to see 10 carries, 70 yards, and a touchdown. I think I say it every week, Blake Corum has got to be the most guaranteed guy to score a touchdown on the slate, but it just might stop there, right? 70 yards, two catches, and a touchdown is just not going to do it as um, the highest Price running back on the board especially in this slate so looking more than at allen how much do you really want to push on a tough matchup i think i mean a stud's a stud right um, he had 100 yards last week a touchdown a couple of receptions i think iowa's defense is tough enough where i won't have a ton of them but something like five to ten percent makes a ton of sense um, and he does have blow-up potential. He had 39, almost 39 fantasy points against Buffalo, almost 31 against Purdue. So if they can get rolling on offense, he certainly can have a huge game. Probably my favorite guy on the slate, and I think this is going to be a theme here. We want to get a lot of this Oregon game. This I think it's something projected like 35-32 or 38-35, something like that. I think Oregon and Washington players make a ton of sense. Um, Bucky Irving... You know, used in the passing game. He's got to be average some uh, averaging something like three, three and a half catches per game. Um, the closest game they played this year was at Texas Tech, of course. Almost a scare there. He had seven catches. Uh, only 11 rushing attempts. So that's just kind of what you're going to get. You know, I think 10 to 15 rushing attempts, three to six receptions. It's just a matter of what is he going to do with those 15 to 20 touches. Um, he's electric. He's a great player. He's gonna. I would say he's pretty close to one of the better bets to score. Um, just because of this matchup, high scoring. You know, you wonder in these big games, do does Oregon, does Washington, do they really funnel targets and usage to their best players? You know, with Noah Whittington out, I'm a. I was a big Whittington fan. He's out for the season, I believe. You know, how did how does Oregon adjust? Do they give Bucky a ton of carries? Uh, do they give Jordan James more usage, which I like him at the 5,600. I'll get to him in a second. You know, so a stud, you just play your studs. You funnel your your usage to studs, I think, ultimately, in these options. And at 7,500, I think Bucky Irving is certainly worth it. 15-plus touches in this offense that's uber-efficient. You know, he's averaging a crazy amount of yards per carry, like uh, nearly 8 um, and that's like kind of been his theme, his whole career almost. I, I like it. And then, like I said, Jordan James. I think Jordan James is a guy um, that has a lot of appeal. You know, he's been pretty effective as a running back three for them. And Now he, he shifts into that second running back spot. How much do they push on him? Uh, do they give him 10 to 12 carries and a couple of receptions? Um, I think the nice thing about it is that he's – I believe he's their goal line back. He's a a bigger back that's been used really effectively. He has seven touchdowns in limited touches this year. So, you know, he finds the end zone and the the team relies on him and definitely can trust him to do that around the, around the end zone. So I like him as kind of an option staying in this Washington, Oregon game. I think Dylan Johnson makes for an interesting option as well here, kind of in that mid 5k uh, price range, like James. I think he's a. If you want to get, you know, I think ownership is going to be tough, right? I think everybody's going to be on the Washington Oregon game. So, I, but I think that it's going to be more of the passing attack for Washington. So, do you maybe fade the passing attack or limit your usage there and maybe up your usage of Dylan Johnson? Uh, I believe I have him around fifty percent of their carries. He's using the passing game. So if if they lean on him that way, he's going to be used there. Uh, four touchdowns in four games. So I'm curious to see how they how they uh, use him. Do they give him a higher percentage of workload in this? Like I kind of mentioned earlier with Irving, I like him as a pivot. He's still going to be pretty decently owned. So it's not like you're getting 5% usage or ownership here. He's still going to be owned a pretty good bit. Uh, Devin Neal, so kind of moving up a little bit in pricing, 6,700 Devin Neal is a great running back I think he's just a great real running back it just Kansas uses multiple they have a running quarterback I think what will help him here is that this game I believe will be kind of close I think you know I think it's only a uh, field goal uh, field goal line I think that they're going to lean on him and, you know, a little bit more than these more recent weeks where he's been limited in touches. The thing about him is he's a big play machine. So he can pop a big play at any time in the running game or the passing game. So I do like him in the matchup against Oklahoma State. Jalen Wright at Tennessee seems to be kind of that one A running back, you know, another piece of this hey, what does Tennessee do now that? um now that uh brews out do they shift more to the passing game do they do they maybe utilize him a little bit more in the passing game he has shown to have some uh, capabilities there only one touchdown which feels a little weird it feels like maybe in the past he's he was the guy vulturing but maybe i'm uh, misremembering he's broken 100 yards three times though uh virginia i believe it's austin p and then south carolina last week so he does have some potential. Just a, a sprinkle of guy to consider, but not necessarily um, use a ton of. But Quentin Allen, I mentioned him earlier. It's tough. You know, run game in a in a bad game script is never great. But a guy like Allen, who is used a ton in the passing game with checkdowns, Schrader's not the most uh, adequate of passers. So he does rely on him a, a good bit in the passing game. I could see upwards of 10 catches, kind of like that. I think it was the bowl game where he had like 10 catches and maybe it was Sean Tucker against Clemson. You know, maybe he does the whole Alvin Kamara and get like 13 catches, 10 catches for 17 yards or something like that, right? I think there are some routes to him having some decent value, but just in like a, a typical way. Rocket Sanders, <sighs> Rocket Sanders, man. I guess, did anybody think this was coming? You know, did everybody, anybody see him averaging 2.7 yards per carry at this point in the season. I'm not a big fan of him obviously this week uh at Bama. This could just be an awful game script. Even when he was great last year, he wasn't getting heavy usage. He just was such a big time player, a big playmaker used in the passing game which he's still showing right now and then just scoring a bunch of touchdowns. So, not on him this week. Can't imagine I'll be <laughs> I'll be on him for a while even with the nice pricing. Caleb Johnson, you know, sticking with that Big Ten West matchup uh, at Wisconsin, 17 for 134 last week. Obviously, a more difficult matchup with Wisconsin. I just don't know if I I can pay 5500 for a guy that's going to have low touchdown equity. It hasn't proven to be like some huge play star. I know he's got a 67-yarder last week, but decent option, nothing crazy there. Um, you know, Maccabee is interesting. He, that one game against Wisconsin is going to scar us. But since then 35 or 34 carries in two games, five receptions, two touchdowns, he continues to fumble the ball at some point. That's really going to bite him in the, uh, in the ass here. So there is some risk, but 5,200 against Ohio state. I don't hate it. If we're looking for some varying levels of, uh, players, if you think that there's any level of chance, any sort of chance that Michigan keeps, uh, I'm sorry, Indiana keeps this game close against Michigan. 4,900 for Donovan Edwards is like insane. If you'd have said that to me earlier this year, I've said I would play him all day, every day and twice on Saturday, right? So he has averaged only 7.8 fantasy points per game, uh, but he does have 12 catches on the year. So, how do they use him in this game? If this game does stay close, he could have a lot of potential. He has struggled to run the ball. Um, his longest carry is only 11, but we know how he is. He is a big play guy. We saw the game against Ohio State, so he has that in him. It's just not happening. It's not clicking for whatever reason. I like him as like a high-risk, high-reward play uh, with a little bit of uh, some value there at 4,900 let wide receiver. I mean, obviously, we have uh, some options within this Oregon-Washington game. Let's knock him out. My favorite option is probably Troy Franklin. He's more of a the only guy in the room, in a sense, compared to Odunze and McMillan. He's hit 100 yards, 4 out of 5. The game he didn't, he went for 83 in a blowout of Hawaii. I mean, he's got two touchdowns in three games. The guy is incredible. He mixes really well with Bo Nicks. I don't think you have to talk too much about it. He's going to get eight to 10 targets in this, his type of usage in a big game. So I think he's an incredible option sticking with Oregon real quick, just to knock them out. Uh, Gary Bryant jr. Is appealing. I think that he gets a bunch of snaps. Actually, I know he gets a bunch of snaps. His, his uh, usage is just kind of sporadic. They use a varying level of guys and nice high risk, high reward player, but um I think that he could have a decent game. It's just a matter of, you know, big games. Like I said earlier, do they just funnel targets to Franklin? Do they give a guy like Gary Bryant some uh, some love? Or Tez Johnson? Tez Johnson starts, but he kind of fades away. He doesn't get the as many snaps as Bryant does consistently, and he's priced a little bit more than Gary Gary Bryant. So he has three touchdowns on the year. Appealing. But, you know, that might be a situation where he's going to get a ton of ownership and it's just probably not worth it. So, decent option, nothing crazy. Let's talk Washington, other side of the field. Odunze, incredible option, like 23%, 24% of of targets, consistently big play guy, um, five touchdowns on the season. McMillan being back doesn't hurt him at all. Um, And if you want to talk level of consistency, like Franklin, He's got a hundred plus yards in four out of five games, and uh, is technically averaging point one more fantasy points per game than Franklin. Super uh, valuable to the team, and you know with McMillan back, right? You know another low twenties guy, but Penix is so good through the air, uh, and he clearly loves these two targets. That with McMillan back, I'm not worried about either of them. I think they could both go for five, six catches, hundred plus yards, and a touchdown. Wouldn't be surprised one bit. McMillan's got a rushing touchdown in the season, which is potentially interesting. Limited action. But I think uh, ultimately when we look at how the season played out, it made more sense to sit McMillan, keep him fully healthy. It's like the full, it's the thing everybody's doing now. It's like Ryan Day has uh, done it last couple years. And now everybody else is kind of taking that same idea where player gets hurt. That's a stud for you you sit him out for the injury against the teams that you feel super confident in. And then, you know, you give him an extra week or two of rest kind of like this situation here and get him in front of the Oregon game at Oregon game at a fuller strength without having to worry about potentially uh, a guy getting banged up. Speaking of banged up Johnny Wilson, Johnny Wilson banged up after a two touchdown game talked about it last week. It just felt like eventually this thing was just going to happen, right? He's too big of a target and he's too good of a player to not get touchdowns, not score, especially after last year when he had a bunch of touchdowns compared to uh targets. So he's a he's banged up. It looks it seems like he's going to be fine. Um Keon Coleman is that other guy obviously. You know, he's kind of been underwhelming ever since that huge game against LSU. So you know, he's he's very high risk, high reward, you know. He's that huge um high potential guy but he could go for five points. I mean, he went for point .2 against Boston College, so anything is possible. But I suspect his ownership will be fairly low considering um, the price points of like Franklin and Odunze, McMillan, those types. And speaking of price points that are high, Marvin Harrison is in an interesting spot. What is going on with Mecca Agbuka? Is he hurt? Is he not? I think regardless, Harrison's a great play, but I think, you know, he'll be even better with, the potential of eggbuka out. So if Buka's out, I mean, he's already gets he's already getting a ton of targets as it is kind of like a chuck it up, just go catch it type McCord's doing. Um high to you know mid to high 20s in terms of percentage of passes on his way. That could be in easily in the mid-30s if Eggbuga's out. I also wonder too what's the what's the ownership going to be like look, look like here with Franklin Odunze right below him. Is there a world where Harrison is fairly low-owned. So this might be the week to to test the waters here. Georgia, Brock Bowers. Uh, They play Vandy, so that's a little bit tough. (laughs) You know, is Bowers going to be needed? But he's been incredible. 29-plus fantasy points in three straight. Um, 120-plus yards, four total touchdowns. Problem is, you know, this is a blowout. But, you know, is Georgia going to run it? Are they going to make it where it's a blowout because of the run game and Bowers barely gets any action or is it a blowout because Bowers helps like kind of like last week with Kentucky, they won by 38 and he had a huge game. So he'll be super low owned with the, between the blowout and the other priced guys around him mentioned McCarthy earlier. I think if you're playing McCarthy, I think you have to consider playing Roman Wilson, I don't love the price point, but I think the world where you think that McCarthy's worth it is that he throws for 250 and two touchdowns and he runs for 30 and a touchdown or two, right? And if that happens, Ro- Roman Wilson has to be a piece of that. I don't I don't necessarily see a way where other targets get the majority of uh, those fancy points that are around it. I think there is a, it's a good bit of value here. And, and this is like early on in the season where we were relying on Tennessee guys. We're back at it. Come, come full circle in week seven squirrel white's not cheap but we've seen how he performs with joe milton so with brew mccoy out does that help us out does that give him more usage does that give him more t- targets his way AM's a good team uh anaya smith had a i'm sorry uh jermaine burton had a big game against them you know is squirrel going to be playing that role or is that going to be ramel keaton um i think the biggest question mark here is how do they replace McCoy, just from a strategy standpoint, not from like a literal production standpoint. Um, Webb, Caleb Webb, the Tennessee receiver is, I. it sounds like he's starting in place of McCoy and he's 3,700. I have to consider him a decent bit there. But, you know, I think we all have this little bit of a soft spot, or at least some of us do for Dante Thornton, what we heard all offseason. Now he's playing behind Squirrel White, it seems, and it seems like they're keeping him there, but I'm curious, what do they do with Brew out? Do they throw a rotation in and when they go four receivers, Dante's in slot? Or do they kind of go 50-50 on those outside slot or I'm sorry, outside snaps between Webb and Thornton? Both of them are fairly cheap. I think you play one or the other. I don't I wouldn't play both of them together. I wouldn't double-stack Milton with those two. I would probably do it with uh Squirrel and one of those two cheaper options. It doesn't take as much to get there with those. Um And if you're going to stack, you know, Tennessee, I think you have to consider a uh, and Uh Anaya Smith. Like I inadvertently mentioned earlier, four plus catches and four straight 70 plus yards and four straight. He has no touchdowns on the season. And he's not a touchdown guy like, like a uh, Johnny Wilson, but considering the usage, it's got to come sometime, right? Tennessee, good defense nothing crazy um max johnson seems to have a good rapport with anais you know and you look at this receiving group they seem fairly banged up evan stewart's banged up um so you, you kind of wonder okay is johnson just spreading it around because that's how johnson plays or is he a like is anais smith a favorite of max johnson so um you know i consider that a pretty a pretty good play at 4900 pretty high floor it feels like 15 16 points is very likely but you know last week that uh four for i'm sorry 12 to 15 points is very likely. uh likely but that you know that 23 point game he had against the old Monroe not as likely seven for 127 just doesn't seem like it's on the bingo card for saturday one player i know that max johnson does like is Jake Johnson his brother? Well, it seems like it at least. Four for 45 and a touchdown, super cheap, like every tight end on this slate besides Brock Bowers. I don't love the play. Um, but you know, you gotta mention it, right? Some some narrative options here and Jake Johnson. Instead, uh let's see here. Arkansas, maybe Arkansas. I was trying to remember. I was like, who who beat up AM last week with the t- with the tight ends? Uh, and it was a but it was a. Ty, I'm looking for Ty Washington. They played Bama. That's how I was trying to get to. It, it took me a while on that puzzle. So, Ty Washington is a freshman, came out of nowhere. We're wondering, okay, well, tight end loses their best tight end. I'm sorry, Arkansas loses their best tight end. I'm unraveling. This is what happens at the minute 32 mark. Uh, who, how are they going to replace him? Do they throw to more receivers? Uh, do they spread out all that usage to three tight ends? What they ended up doing was finding a tight end that was not on the depth chart or was very unheard of in Ty Washington and throw it down for a tune of seven catches, 90 yards, and two touchdowns. So I don't know. Seems like it might make sense. You know, does Ty Washington make sense here at a, a cheap price of 4,300? High risk. Um, but I think his upside is really pretty strong compared to some of these other tight end options, like an Eric All. You know, if there's one Iowa player I do like, it's a tight end. He's had seven essentially 17 and 21 fantasy points the last two weeks. I mean, his usage is absolutely insane. And not like in a from a high number standpoint, but from like a percentage standpoint, I want to say the last three weeks has been like 40, 35 percent, and 50 percent of targets have gone his way. And that's the Deacon Hill effect. And I don't blame him. They don't have a ton of options out wide. He's probably not the best passer for some of these routes, except for the ones that Eric all runs. So I think he's viable in cash games as a cheap option and looking at some of the other ones, right? Garrett Miller, I mean, just straight tight ends, all the cheap ones, right? Garrett Miller, eight for 71, replacing uh, Max Claire, who's having a good season. Um, So I do think he's viable with this offense. Um, So I think he's a, a decent option there as well. What about some other options? All right, I'm fading. I'm fading. But what other guys do we have here? You know, I don't think Jason Bean, relatively speaking, I don't think you stack that. Um, I don't think you would. You know, here we go. Luke Altmaier. Brought him up earlier. Obviously, if you're playing Altmaier and you want to stack him, well, I should say if you're playing Luke Altmaier, you're probably doing it because you think there's an uptick in passing. Well, Isaiah Williams is like a 28 to 30% target share guy. He's got five catchers or more, five catchers or more in every game this year, eight last week. He's going to get you limited in, in terms of per catch uh, numbers typically. But last year, I would say when there's volume, that yards per catch is limited. But he has shown to have some good averages, like against Purdue, where he went six for 113. Like a, He's like a less agile, um, Anais Smith for me. I think they're very similar players in that they are kind of target hogs. They can be target hogs. They are a little shifty, but I I think Smith probably wins that bet. But, um, you know, they're just not going to score a ton of touchdowns. But maybe you get a little lucky here. The game script plays in your favor. They throw it 40 times. And at that rate, I mean, he's getting 10 to 12 targets, like almost guaranteed. Um, Looking at some final guys here. So you wonder, Jermaine Burton... You know, he had some really nice connections. His price is a little bit high at at uh, 6,800. But he almost had 200 yards, and he had two touchdowns last week. So you got to consider him somewhat, right? Uh, Jalen Polk, if for some reason McMillan McMillan does not play, I think Polk is an incredible option. Will be super chalky, uh, averaging nearly 23 fantasy points a game. He was pretty relevant when McMillan was playing, but... Um, I think he kind of takes a step back, especially at the 6,100 price tag in this matchup if McMillan does play. Well, I don't think I can go any further. I think I've, I've hit the end here, but I think a ton of different options were talked about. Look for all the different content on campus I mean, there's CFF, there's DFS like this show and some price pick stuff obviously c2c content debbie content it's non-stop all the different podcasts and things like that be active in the discord channel check out the winning edge package i'm just hitting all the promo reads right now and made I made you guys wait for it uh check out home field i have a, a purchase coming in the next couple of days a notre dame shirt and oregon shirt so i'm looking forward to it um but yeah hope everybody enjoyed the slate or enjoys the slate hope everybody enjoyed this this solo pod nate if you're listening to this just lie to me and say that you enjoyed it. Uh, Otherwise, I had a good time. I'm going to go stop talking for about five hours to compensate. Otherwise, enjoy the weekend. Thanks, guys.